Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Evolver Mindset podcast. And we're absolutely delighted to be here with Gareth Farrelly, uh, former Everton player and now solicitor and doing many other things uh, in his life, which we will try and explore. Uh, good afternoon, Gareth. Afternoon. Lovely to see you. Yeah. Well, in the world, to... uh, well, I've got the benefit of seeing you on the world of Zoom. Obviously, we're in unprecedented times at the minute, so... Yeah. We've moved on a little bit from when we could actually sit sit together and have a chat. Yeah, oh mate, nothing more. I'd love to be in a, in, a, in a pub somewhere now with a, with yeah. a pint of Guinness, uh, doing this podcast rather than a, in a freezing cold garage converted garage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at least you look nice and comfy there. Um, so thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Uh, us at Evolver Mindset. Obviously, you, you may know a bit about us. We're trying to raise awareness around mental health, not just within men but children, just within our communities, and just trying to. Uh, reduce that stigma around mental health and I know it's something that it's quite a, a big passion for yourself so for some of our listeners Gareth you know what are you up to these days uh what, what, have, you, what have you have you how was your career finished at the end at, when you finished with Everton oh god <laughs> where do we start <laughs> no 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 it's fascinating because through the world of podcasts like you say every conversation you have is people taking you back 20 odd years yeah. and it's like you have to do you have to do the maths so if I think I left, I left Everton in '99, so we're tw- 22 years. Wow, so I that think long? football is, um, and I've I've been out of football for probably 12 years now. So, yeah, it's quite strange to be asked, "What have you done since then?" <laughs> As you said at the outset, obviously there's a lot has happened. Then I would say so. To surmise, obviously it's coming up to 13 years since I had serious illness. Thankfully, I, I recovered from through the care and love of the NHS. I'm an incredible advocate for the NHS. I, I, I suffered an aneurysm of the splenic artery on the M40 just outside of Birmingham, Warwick. And that kind of changed my path with regards to, I was still a footballer at that time. I'd made all of my mistakes in my 20s, Phil, as I'd said to you before, <laughs> yeah. falling out with managers and yeah. youth being wasted on the young. But I am, um, as all athletes do, and I think a lot of people would talk about this, there's a resilience there. So after my illness, and I had a nine-month recovery from my illness, the only thing I wanted to do was play football. And I think it was a seismic kind of life shift with regards to my illness, with the fact that I think from a personality point of view, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. And I found football very, very difficult because... With kind of that mentality, if if I played a game and like walked out of the ground and nine people told me I was very good and one person told me I was crap, that was the person I went home with. So yeah. as an Evertonian, it was quite a culture shock signing for Everton and realising that the percentages of people telling me I was a crap as opposed to played well, it was a completely different experience to get used to. So I found I found football a challenge and I was able to kind of make a decision that I wanted to play and just be free to play and enjoy the game the game I loved and I still love now but I realized I wasn't going to play at Premier League or Championship level again given my medical and the consequences of my illness and I started to then think about well what can I do if I'm not going to be a footballer so I think athletes face um, an incredible challenge with regards to one day being a footballer and most of your identity being associated with that. And then the next day to be told, well, you're not a footballer anymore. And, and football is quite ruthless like that. They speak about athletes dying twice, once in their professional career and then obviously once in, in, in normal life. But um, whilst I was recovering, I had the tax authorities call to my house in relation to a tax debt that I knew nothing about. And that kind of set me on a track, if you like, of starting to try and understand the financial advice I've been given while I played football, understanding that that advice wasn't actually best practice or in my best interests, trying to unravel all of the things that had gone on over a period of time. And that then kind of steered me towards towards the law. I'd had, you know, sporting incidents with the law. You know, I was involved in a big court of arbitration for sport case, which resulted in the change in the FIFA regulations around the three club rule not to bore you with that and different skirmishes you know whilst playing football but without really an understanding of the law but 
my experience after my illness and the consequences of the mismanagement of like financial affairs was what steered me towards the law. And there, and there was different challenges in that. Phil. You can imagine 16 years out of education, trying to navigate and figure out how to, how to get back into something like that. Had a negative experience with a university in Liverpool where I went in to see somebody and they were very, very curt and short with me as if to go, oh my goodness, you couldn't possibly study law having been a footballer and you haven't got the education, go away and then come back to us in a few years. And then I had the opposite experience with Edge Hill University where I went up to an open day, met some incredibly positive people who were incredibly supportive and kind of gave me the roadmap of what I needed to do. So I was lucky because I liked it. And yeah, I sit here now as a, as a, as a lawyer, as a commercial litigator and a sports arbitrator and sports lawyer. So my, my career, if you like, is kind of gone full circle. And again, I, I like what I do. So whilst we're all working from home or working under different circumstances now, I think with regards to my transition, I've been very fortunate. Well, I've got a load of notes here, which I might as well throw it away because you've covered them all, all the questions I had now. No, which, is, is, which, that which, is that it? Is that it? No, 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 mate. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, there was bits and bobs that I knew, knew about that from the research uh, that I did, but there's a couple of things that I didn't. And it's, it's, it's huge for me as well. Um, exploring some of the things around finances and mental health. So one of our partners is Liverpool Community Advice. Now they offer free financial support for people in problem debt, housing difficulties and stuff like that. Because um, you're on my own journey, which people would have heard in many podcasts before. It was probably one of the catalysts for a relationship breakdown on a property. I got myself into a lot of problem debt um, and that was a real catalyst of me going to bed every night, worrying about money and finances and paying bills, bailiffs, all that sort of stuff. It can have a massive contributing effect towards our mental health and our mental well-being. And sometimes we don't like to admit that we're in, in debt or seek help because it's there's like an ego with it. Um, so when this big tax bill landed, I'm just curious to see how that hit you mentally as well as all the stuff that you're having to deal with physically and, uh, and your career. When that hit, you know, what, what was you going through? What was your thought process then? No, do, well, do you know what, Phil? I think even in, with regards to podcasts like this, I think one of the big things when is there has to be an absolute honesty mm. around it. Yeah. And I think the bigger start point for me would have been, obviously, I was still bedridden at the time. Yeah. So I was walking down the stairs was like the day's objective and exercise, given where I was at. Yeah. I'd lost 21 pounds. I was on huge amounts of um, medication and with more muscles on a pencil, you know, like with regards to having been a professional athlete and at the kind of peak of your powers. And I think the first step was obviously my wife was upset. I had a four-year-old and I had a two-year-old and I had no kind of understanding of the consequences of what had happened before because I'd been absolutely trusting of the people who were supposedly looking after my best interests. So I think the, the, it's still difficult now because we talk about us having a conversation and I'm sure we'll speak about when we met, right? But mm. the reality is nobody really knows you, do they? They see, no. they see you as you are and they see it can be a front, it can be a good day, a bad day, and invariably they're not really getting to know, know you. And I think one of the nice things, especially over the years for me, is as you become more comfortable with that and to a degree you're able to be yourself rather than a perception, especially around professional sports, because... You talk about stigmas, but irrespective of how many conversations we have around stigmas, people have to give a huge amount of thought with regards to how much they can divulge, how open they can be, because we're living in such challenging times. And that can be professionally in a dressing room, the egos and the challenges you have to deal with there. And then also having to deal with social media, fan expectation, criticism, and all of these challenges. And as I say, people speak to me now about, do you miss those things? <laughs> like being honest with you, you turn around and say, people will talk about money, but beyond money, I actually don't miss those things at all. I says like, I'm working in a different office environment now, but I haven't got 40 to 50,000 people telling me how crap I am when I do something wrong, which happens quite a lot. So yeah. I think the honesty point is absolutely um, a massive element for me, which is obviously why I've got, 
so much respect for what you guys are doing. Also, how we kind of met again around Sean's place, which again, having heard the work they're doing and how incredibly brave and strong they are, I think it's, it's a little bit easier because you're speaking to like-minded people. And so for me, yes, there was huge challenges around that. And those challenges don't go away. We have good days, bad days. I think the challenge for everybody, and I would, I would speak about this myself, is like managing your mind. Yeah. And, and you, you move on and you learn. And I, I think my illness for me, definitely with regards to kind of the baggage and the challenges I faced whilst I was a footballer, insecurity, fear, um, you know, getting involved in things I shouldn't have got involved in. You would like to be able to, your older self would like to be able to have a conversation with your younger self to actually oh. say, there's only so much of this stuff that really matters. And the most important thing is with regards to the talent I had as a footballer is to just be able to go out and play freely. I didn't need fans in a stadium, Phil. I could have played mm. in a stadium with nobody there. Mm. The most important part was always trying to, trying to deal with myself. If I was left alone, I would be at my best. It was the difficulty when I found an issue with something and then you became distracted. But fundamentally, the person that suffers the most when you get distracted is you. So it's all part of learning. And you look back now, I don't have regrets per se, but there's obviously a huge amount of things I would have done differently. So it was funny when you were saying about playing in an empty stadium because that's the first time I, you know, I can I can recall us meeting. We were uh, playing for the former um, Everton's foundation, former Everton Players Foundation um, at Goodison Park in an empty stadium. Uh, and my best friend still contacts me today, still thanking me today because you set him up three times for a hat-trick he scored in that game against Barclays, I think it was, in the charity game uh, at the Gladys Street. So it's one thing he, he just never, he never forgets it. He goes, says, oh, if you ever see God, make sure you thank him. It's like, you've just made his life. Um, but it was great. And it was something that, yeah, around obviously the work we're doing in, in mental health, we've always been trying to look at ways to support people. And that was our way of, we used to raise money for the former player, Everton Players Foundation. Um, and that's where, and that's where we met. Uh, and as, as a club, and I'm trying my best not to talk too much around the football bit. But as a club, I'm personally proud as Evertonian for the work that they do, looking after the former players, but also the work that they do in the community, with Everton in the community. Is that something that you've had much involvement with? Or, or obviously you were there that game, so there must be some connection um, with it, with that sort of fundraising events. Yeah, but the, to, to take a step back, the first step back from that is obviously... It was a great day. And those yeah. things can be quite funny because, again, everyone has this, um, again, perception about ex-players and what they're like and what they're not like. And then for anyone walking into a room where they don't know anybody, it's a, it, it can be a challenge because, again, you're back to performance, aren't you? People have a, that perception is that, well, someone come in, here's the entertainment, you know, that type of way. Whereas yeah. for me, it was the, the, the great thing about that was obviously meeting you guys, which was a team, which was like incredible. So obviously, and then the backstory around, you know what I mean, during the course of the year, saving to be in a position to go and play at Goodison. So yeah. within many of those charitable games, I think you were probably more organised as a team than most of them, as opposed <laughs> yeah. to some of the people, as some of the people who get presents or get, well, you we yeah. call it a present or whether it's a present or a booby prize to go and play at, play at Goodison. But it just ended up being a, been a really nice day. And I think Everton are rightly incredibly proud of the work they do in the community and the former players foundation and again yeah i'm, I'm fortunate to be a part of that and, and i think there is where the real value in the club is so from a former player's point of view i'm incredibly passionate about the former players because listen i, I played for the team i supported as a boy i i'm not you know solely recognised or linked to my past. But yet, when I look at Everton, there's obviously, we look at the 80s, everybody locked down. I think everybody's watched Howard's Way, mm. right? And it helps you reconnect with the team that I started supporting. I can still name the team now, you know, and I, I, get, I get to meet those guys and I've got so much respect for them because of what they did. But you can go back further, you know, Barry Temple, you can go back to Royal, people I see that, we're an integral part of the history of our club and everybody, all fans are proud of their own club. 
and all fans are proud of their own history. But for me, sometimes I think there's a danger that people think football started and stopped in 1992 when Sky started. <laughs> and that, as with Howard, as with different things, is that we have these people for a finite period. And the longer we have them, the better. And within that, it's really, really important to educate the fans around the history of the club, for one, but also those players, because you don't get that level of access anymore. The game has changed to such a degree that their stories and their careers are fascinating on their own and should be celebrated as such. So with regards to the former Players Foundation, yes, incredibly um, supportive of it and like have massive respect for everybody involved. Everton in the community, equally so. Unfortunate, I still get invited and asked to do a lot of things with, with the community, which is what it's all about for me. And, and, and I think that we have to kind of protect that, not like guardians, but that's what, what it's all about. Despite all of the, you know, the infiltration of football with regards to like marketing and PR spin, Everton, you live or die by the quality of the people. And I think that that's to be celebrated. So that's why I'm still proud to be a part of that, but also proud that you're still asked to because of, yeah. you know what I mean? One significant yeah. goal, but yet, it's something that means a lot to me. No, absolutely. I mean, when it, it's the timing of it is, is quite uncanny, actually, but we were actually asked to support Everton in the community this week at Evolver Mindset for their Safer Internet Day. So we did a, a, a programme around uh, the impacts of social media on our mental health and well-being, um, positives and negatives and exploring it. Um, so we were extremely proud to be asked to, to be coming in and doing that piece of work with, with yeah. in collaboration it, with them. It's like we say, Phil, it goes bigger than that because, again, mm. you talk about us reconnecting, but I was invited to do a mental health event at Hotel Anfield. Yeah. Um, again, we make the caveat when we were allowed outside still, but that was um, that was an incredible event. So you had, it was like Liverpool Foundation were there, Everton were there. I got to see a whole host of the work that goes on in Liverpool, some of which I would have been aware of and some of which I wasn't. And that was kind of how you start to see and again get a, a better appreciation and understanding for all of the work and the positive work that does go on. But it brings you back to the underlying issue of how, how can this be happening? And like you say, it throws up a whole host of different issues about how we should be dealing with these things better. But it also throws up that question about how we've got to the situation where we are now, given that if you stand up and say that you care about people, that people would look upon you as if you're from a different planet. So I think mm -hmm. it's a really, really challenging time at the moment. Mm, absolutely. It's been, it's been the most difficult um, time of my life, for sure. I'm, I'm sure it's the same for, for everyone. But I think I was... Um, yeah, I'm it's a difficult I, one though, Phil, isn't it? It's difficult yeah. because, again, you're back, to the, you're back to the mind again. And whilst, you know what I mean, every conversation you'd caveat by saying how lucky you are. Like, I know I do it myself, you know what I mean? I'm incredibly fortunate. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we're not being tested at the moment and, and it's, 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 it can be challenging to deal with and it might not be the first thing that affects you, but then there's a second one comes and then there's a third one come. And especially given the, the mania we're living in with regards to media, politics, the environment and everything that comes with that. So it's a, it's a challenging time. Yeah, you thought uh, you were just going to have an easy football conversation this morning no I really didn't I, I, I was hoping that I didn't uh, a lot of my questions weren't around linking to football um, but the impacts of, of mental health on um, exploring for me I, I had a glimpse I had a glimpse of a career uh, I was a low level footballer in, in lower divisions and I look back at uncertain things and there wasn't anything there, especially the openness within that team dynamics. Now, I know I was struggling at times when I was a young man. Yeah, but, but Phil, you would, you, would, you would have been probably perceived as a strong character, wouldn't you? So, absolutely. Like, people may oh, not have yeah. seen that in you. So, again, this comes back to you never really know the person you sat next to, do you? No. And, and for me, there was, and it's only reflections great, isn't it? I'm sat here 45. I think it's the same as yourself or close. Young, I know young, you, 45. young 45. You look younger than what I do on this, uh, <laughs> this, on this Zoom. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but reflections great. And what you said earlier on really resonated with me where I'd love to take this head I've got on my shoulders now and place it on my young 18-year-old uh, body when I was a footballer, when I was starting off trying to be. And... Um, I, I was gripped with fear. I was gripped with anxiety. I was gripped with 
the fear of failing. I was gripped with the fear of not being good enough. Um, I'd tell myself I wasn't good enough, I, or this inner critic, real low self-esteem. But then when I speak to, to Borley, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Ball and the, and the guys I was playing at Exeter, uh, they said, Phil, you're the most confident one out of, like, the life and soul of everything. And it was a mask. It was a, it was, it was a charade. Yeah but, it was... yeah, but the, yeah, but the challenge with that is it takes so much of your energy. Yeah. And it's like you say, this it comes back to learning, and like so, it's we all talk about lifelong learning, but that mm. that learning includes learning about the self, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's yeah. like you say that, like I, I know, say from my side of it was that sometimes you could never understand how I felt tired all the time, mm. you know. So didn't drink, you know what I mean? Ate well, didn't go out, solely focused on football, but because there's so many mental challenges that come with that sometimes you actually have no physical energy left. Mm. And that's to do with the amount of energy it's taking for you to function at that level. So it's like a different, it's a mental tiredness. Yeah. But again, there wasn't the resources or the knowledge or the information around that now or like sports psychology or having the ability to have a, have a network of support around you. As you said, it would, have been, it would have been a different time. And if you'd actually gone to sit with somebody and try and explain that, it may have actually prejudiced their opinion towards you with yep. regards to your football because I know for me there was always the element that because you were a thinker and because you saw things in a particular way that people were threatened by that and as as opposed to them understanding what it was you were you were then presented as being a maverick or an outlier mm. or somebody that wasn't really buying into the collective dynamic of what was expected and again that's a different challenge in itself yeah I think people see it from like, like a, a leadership point of view but in a weird way, I'm an introvert, if that makes sense. But I appear outgoing, but really I'm quite, I'm a real deep thinker. Um, you know, I'm the same as you. If I made one mistake, you know, that would be, that'd be me. That'd be like a record player stuck in my head. No, the record stuck yeah. over and over and over and over and over for days until I just wanted the next game to come along so I could put it to bed. And then I could yeah. have a, you know, and then, then all of a sudden you have another bad game or you make another mistake. And it's that, that was that mental sort of side of it where I know well, you're I really. Pro, you're, yeah, you're back to programming, aren't you? So like yeah. you say, even though, even though, like you say, you, you look back now and you hear yourself talk about those things, about mistakes. And like you say, be it with your own kids or if you're coaching or like you say, even yeah. when you're taking sessions with people, you would just say to them is like that. You know what I mean? Mm. it doesn't mean anything you can move on just forget about it leave it behind you and again that's that's part of learning isn't it and it's part part of like growing up and I say to people like for me I think I'd probably only started to really understand and continue to learn after after I was ill mm. you know yeah. what I mean I and I it was it was a friend who gave me a book and that book was became life-changing because in many ways it started to explain how I was and why I was how I was and then yeah. I was able to to improve and like that that learning continues now, but it was as if I could kind of understand. Yeah. And in understanding, it actually made a lot of the, you know, debris, if you like, fall away. Mm. And that was why I go back to like, people would have had a perception. Can you imagine young Irish boy, you know what I mean? Professional I footballer, it. international footballer, playing for the club you support as a boy. What could be wrong with you? Yeah. And even oh, before, sure. like you say, I, I'd had a challenging time at Aston Villa, like an incredibly dark time. And yet, to all intensive purposes in the outer world, the perception was, well, what, what could be, what could possibly be wrong with you? Mm. So everybody, everybody carries it in different ways. And I think, again, we talk about this and it's kind of uh, getting rid of a myth is that everybody has challenges. Everybody has. Yeah, even, you know, how the culture we're in now of celebrity and how it's presented and even in a footballing context, people that are put at such a high level in many ways set up to fail, but everybody has the challenges and, and the, the, the test is trying to have the right people around you to help you when, when you need help. And, and, and that's the thing is that there's none of us are without those challenges. Yeah. And I think that's why it's nice sometimes trying to not give something back, but being able to talk to people on it, you know, on, a, on an open level again, but to kind of say that, yeah, today might be tough, but it doesn't necessarily, it won't necessarily be like this yeah. all the time, but you have to help yourself. And then sometimes people don't have that. They don't know the resources that are out there. They don't know the right person, but it, it, it's really, really important. 
and you have to get lucky in some respects with regards to that. You have to kiss some frogs along the way. But invariably, then you can hopefully get to a, a better place because, we're, like I said, we're very lucky and li life is precious in that respect. Yeah. I, I, I've seen, we're going to get on to it in a sec, but, you know, this pandemic, uh, for one thing, it's, it's really difficult to say what I'm going to say. There's been, for me, everyone, there's a lot of people struggling uh, with the mental health. You can't switch on the TV. But on the other flip side of that, there's so much more awareness. Now, I've been a massive ambassador around mental health for probably about eight, ten years. And it's it's took something like this, I think, to really raise the awareness of, of it, if that makes sense. So it's almost a positive but a negative because people are suffering. But at least the awareness is, is around it. And people are openly talking about it a lot more now than what they would have done in the past. I don't know whether you agree with that or got your own thoughts on it. Yeah, well, it's twofold, isn't it? Because one mm. is that all of these issues are becoming further exacerbated because of the current situation and more people need help. But I think at the moment, it's, it's difficult to make sense of anything, isn't it? Because like you talk about media and we talk about the absolute mania, the misinformation, the lack of trusted information, and basically the noise so for anybody it's incredibly challenging to try and filter and then translate that noise it's like the masses isn't it it's just it, it's just there's an absolute constant din there all the time and like you say for people who, who would be considered to be really really together and like capable it's not easy for any of us to navigate through what we're going through at the moment and and with you know the caveats of the unknown so absolutely it's going to create issues for people and, and I don't even think we know the depths of that yet but I think it's a huge positive for people to be aware of what you do and to be aware of other you know organizations or institutions that are out there and able able to offer that little bit of comfort Phil and like you say it's it's having that ability isn't it to put people at ease for people to be able to have a conversation with you have a, a Zoom, a phone call. It's like you say, it seems like nothing, but it can be really, really important for people at the moment. Lock, lockdown, like mm -hmm. not getting out, people who, who don't see people from day to day. Like we joke about it now, but like 12 months ago nearly, Zoom, not many people knew what Zoom was. We were in the realm of FaceTime, but yeah. not the other 43 mediums we could have a video call with. It's just, yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been a challenging period. And I think with that kind of, 24-hour news cycle and that, that 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 frenzy and mania we're living through at the moment. I don't necessarily see it as a as a good thing. No. I, I, straight away, as you were talking, it just took me back. You know, I, you have had me difficulties, um, as people will know, and uh, I'm in a really good place, really good place. I've done a lot of self-learning. I've done a lot of uh, I've had to kiss a lot of them frogs, and and some things have worked for me. But I've got I've got my strategies. I've got my tools. I know I still have my bad days. But, I, you know, I've got them things and, and I'm self-reliant. Um, but around what you said around social media, I, I work in the health and social care sector. So I was fortunate enough to have my vaccine about three weeks ago, my first vaccine. And literally, as soon as I come back and I felt this massive surge of positivity, and I'm quite a positive person anyway. And I sat down for a cup and put the news on and it was all over. It was this variant. And oh, we don't think it's going to be effective against this thing. And I felt myself go from being at the top of a mountain, cliff top, singing, jumping to the pits within 10 minutes of watching a news article. And I had to have a word with myself. I had to say, switch the news off. Do, you know, and it was just yeah, all, yeah. all of that doom and gloom. And it was just amazing how just watching an article could change my whole, the way I was thinking, the way I was feeling, the way I was acting, everything from a, a 10 minute news article that was, that was on. And, if we're not careful around that, and that was some of the stuff we did with Everton in the community this week around safer internet and, and, and media, and it can consume us, can't it? It can consume, there's so much, you know, mistruths, there's so much negativity, there's so much there. And, and it's just noise, isn't it? Yeah. It's just noise. It's like you say, it's an absolute relentless noise. But I think the thing it comes back to for you is having the, the presence and the awareness to be able yeah. to go, right, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Wow, this, mm. is, this is how this has made me feel. I think a lot of people are struggling with that because when you do end up in the eye of the storm, you know what I mean? 
again relative levels it's just it becomes it becomes really really difficult because then it just sweeps you away and it, it takes a lot of energy again then to be able to kind of get a fixed position and go right okay I can't listen to that <laughs> or I need something different or I need some positivity or I need yeah. to be able to tap into family friends something positive just to kind of shift me and take 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 me out of this and and again it, it's it's that recognition isn't it that's part of that we talk about learning or education but it's kind of understanding how the world works and yeah. I think that's that's been one of the things that's come into sharp focus during during lockdown as well is that it's a bigger issue and I'm not going into like politics and no, no, socio-economic issues today <laughs> I think the thing yeah. about today for me is like is massive kudos to you guys for what you're doing but you know I'm a massive fan I've got huge respect for that but secondly it's like all of the other people that want to help I think I think there's something really really virtuous in that and the other thing Phil is you talk about as a positive person but there's no better feeling than helping somebody or making their day better. And I think that that on its own is not, you know, it's not like a guilty pleasure or a cheat, but the point to see, to be able to impact someone in a positive way is, is hugely rewarding. Yeah, no, no, that, that is, I, I, I often have that conversation with my brother, Andrew, but you mentioned the NHS at the beginning. Uh, the other, the other uh, director, my brother Andrew, he's a uh, uh, early intervention in psychosis for Mersey Care in the NHS. Yeah. So that, so mental health is is a passion within within the family, um, and you know he's he's had such a, a difficult time as you can appreciate it, in that role, um, but it's absolutely, absolutely huge whatever it's going through. But yeah, I have but that, Phil, I, yeah. Go on, sorry. No, you no I was just going to say it. I have to check in with him sometimes and say, we don't get paid for what we do. Everything we do is voluntary. Um, but where my sort of payment, I call it, is that feeling of knowing that I've just helped someone, you know, we've helped over 600 people through lockdown and, you know, in different which ways. Which is incredible, which is yeah. incredible, Phil. It's but, that, but I have to check in around, well, you know, almost check the ego or check, well, what, you know, is it... What, what I'm getting from it, I'm trying, I'm saying that I'm trying to do it to help people, but I get something out of it as well. And I'm checking, I have to check in on my motives if that makes, you know, yeah, I'm just yeah, having, yeah, that, having that awareness to, of it. Yeah, 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 different ways of feeding your ego, be it positive or negative. But with regards yeah. to something like that, I think when it comes from a true place, there's there's a there's a purity in that. Like you say, helping someone is mm. is what it's all about, isn't it? Like I I do a lot of podcasts and again, sometimes it's like, you know, war stories or people want to talk about football and different things. And as I said earlier, I'm very, very fortunate that football is something I probably did once and mm. my life has moved on and I would say my life is getting better, but I would never not take an opportunity to, you know, give thanks to the NHS because the, re the only re reality for me is, and it's an absolute reality is, Phil, I'm only here because of them. Mm. Like the nurses, the doctors, the intervention and the care I had. And I include the police in that because when I had to pull over to the side of the M40 and I got out of the car and I was vomiting blood and I had to phone the ambulance, the police came as well and took my car to the, yeah. to the hospital. The, the, the care I received, the surgeons, the skilled people that I had the pleasure of coming across at my kind of weakest time. Mm. I've sat through lockdown and I've sat through everything I've seen and heard, you know, in a privileged position absolutely horrified that these people are are compromised that these people are suffering that they're not looked after properly they're not respected mm -hmm. properly there and I, I find that incredible so again it's you're back to you trying to use your platform for good yeah i i, I really believe that we're really fortunate i think to have all we, we criticize things you know with waiting lists sometimes and stuff which you do but i think this panel has really made me humble and made me such appreciated to what we have within the NHS, within the services that are available to us. I, yeah, I, I think, genuinely I think believe you, that. You can, you can qualify that, can't you? Because again, yeah. you're back to the cold face. You're back to those people on the cold face that are, are facing the challenge head on every day. Yeah. And I think we, we, we probably took it for granted as well. And, and um, But we're, we're extremely, I believe we're extremely fortunate. Um, I've got just just one more, and it's it's just flipping back to football a bit, if that's okay. I'm, yeah, I'm glad I, you've done that. I was getting worried now. Yeah, football, yeah, uh, football. No, no. Um, and it was just an article the other day, and it's something that I've got a bit of a passion for. Um, and it was around um young the, the young people at clubs being being released that may have been there for a long time, and whether we feel 
it's just a converse, open conversation, really. I'm just I'm curious. I want to try and speak to as many people around that wraparound support and a duty of care of clubs around the mental well-being of people who may have been with the club all along, especially from a toddler, some kids, right up to 80, and then, boom, you're gone. And how these transitions, these big transitions, whether you're retiring from a footballer or this thing as a young boy where, you, where your heart's broken. And I've been one of them young boys. That That's why uh, I've got a bit of a passion for it. And the statistics around it and mental health of, of people that are facing that rejection. Um, it was just an honest conversation, really, to see whether you feel clubs do enough. I think the first question is, do clubs do enough when players are released either professionally at the end of retirement or as a young person? And do you think that there's a gulf between the elite clubs and the lower league clubs? Right. So there's about four questions there. Yes. Apologies. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and again, so, yeah. so, um, and it's a really, really interesting mm. four questions, if, even yeah. if it's only the four, right? But the first, so the first part for me is, and, and we have spoken a lot about this um, in the last few months, a lot of, say, even my, my friends. So, or, or there's a connectivity to all of these things that you've spoke about, right? And, uh, which is like society, isn't it? Because the reality is, in some ways, football is a, a microcosm of what's going on in society. And, and that can be in relation to what we're dealing with, with like racism. It can be in relation to social media, which, again, is in the news massively last few weeks. And again, rightly so. And there's a huge issue around that. But to answer your question, um, I don't believe it's as straightforward as just saying one party is responsible. Mm. I, I think agree. that the stakeholders have to come together as a whole. Um, and my particular kind of slant on that, if you like, would that that would include the media. So there was a horrific circumstance recently, which was um, a young boy from Manchester City, Jeremy Whitson, mm. right? And what tends to happen in the media is you have like you have a two day frenzy around the horrific circumstance. But then the media have moved on to the next story. And the reality being that that can be preparation for the game. If you look at the cycle, so if you look at mm -hmm. the cycle of uh, sporting media, that Thursday, Friday is build up to the game on Saturday. Saturday is watch the game and then rate players, you know what I mean, good or bad, yeah. then have a Sunday off. Monday, Tuesday, start to build up to Champions League cycle. Wednesday, Thursdays build up to a Europa League cycle and then we go again. And there's an absolute madness to that for me, mm. right? So you have the media then who can drive the narrative and the agenda saying, well, clubs don't do enough yeah. and stakeholders need to do more. But yet the aspirational element of how football is perceived in the media is that it's the sun, moon and stars for everybody. So if you're not a footballer, then you're not you're not worthy or if you're not aspiring to do this or that then you're not worthy we have a conversation earlier about doctors or surgeons you know what i mean these people are incredible to me they're the rock stars you know what i mean they are Absolutely. people that are making an impact on people day to day so i think when you work it back why i say that is that we've done we've spoken to academies speak to a lot of players and young players right and phil if you go and speak to an academy and you say to the kids and some of the academies will do it with the parents as well. And you say that there's only 0.01% of you that are going to have a football career, right? Now, I was there myself. You know, you got this older, you know, slightly grey guy who comes into the academy, stands in front of us, which again, you know, standing in front of anybody and talking is a, is a different skill. Mm -hmm. Some people would rather play in front of 40,000, 50,000 yeah. people caning them and have to stand up in front of a small group of people and give a talk mm. but you say to them there's only a really really small amount of you are going to have a career they'll turn around and go he's not talking to me because i'm going to be that point yeah. zero one mm. the average professional like the average premier league playing career is eight years mm. you know what i mean what are you going to do for the rest of your life so we're back to balance again, aren't we? And you're, and, and you're back to communication and you're back to the message and you're back to valuing education 
as opposed to it being a box ticking exercise. You know what I mean? To have more contact time with the player on the green. So I think football as an industry has to have a look at itself with regards to that and how we package and present what we what achievement is. You know what I mean? And that comes back to that's not just a football yeah. issue. That's, that's a society, a society issue. Society issue. Yeah, no, Phil, say, if yeah. you turn up, if we turn up any of these massive um like issues and topics that are of relevance, if you stand up and your first answer is, well, this is an incredibly complex matter. No one wants to hear any more about it, <laughs> yeah. right? Because yeah. people don't want to do complex. They want to be able to, you know, react, criticize. Instant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is back to that, in, back to society again. So, so we, we've spoken a lot about that. And I think that, so like, that's before you start. So like you say, if you've, I've had it myself with like people we know from seven in academies, you know what I mean? They train in an academy for like six months and then, they get a letter to say such and such isn't is not good enough. And you're like not, not tall, yeah, not tall yeah, enough yeah. and things like yeah, that, yeah, honestly. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. So again, so like yeah. there's a madness to that. So so what? Go and enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Go and enjoy yeah. being with your friends. Do do multiple sports. Try loads of things. Don't be hanging on every word that your value is determined by, you know, whether you're in an academy at seven or eight. And I think what you have then is obviously there's specific elements of each case that can be tragic on its own. You know, Jeremy's, and I think the coroner's cases, well, in the next couple of months, but you had a situation where a young boy who'd been at an elite academy and he suffered a bad injury and he missed close to a year. And can you imagine, like, you look at us all, not being able to do what you love for that period of time, that impacts on your development pathway. Mm. Club makes a decision that you're maybe not for them, which again is only at that absolute elite level. Mm. And how do you deal with that when you don't have the the skill set or the experience or the, the people around you yeah. to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so so it's tragic and it 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 saddens me. But with regards to football again and like that, the world we live in at the minute, I think that there has to be a recalibration at some point. Mm. And 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 that uh, that's that will come, Phil, but it it's it's the damage it does along the way. So, so I think, again, you're back to having the ability to have a conversation and it's like that network point again that, you know, who's within your network who can give you a different voice? Like, who's, who's the person that can say, well, you know, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on today. Like, don't worry about that. That's just one person's opinion and that's that opinion now and that, how, how do you manage those things? It's like, it's, again, it's no different to what you do given the right the right advice at the right time or there a different voice at a different time to be able to guide people through it's like being a parent isn't it it's like how can you respond in a different way like I, I've had it you know I'm not I'm not this or I'm not that and I should be here now and so and so's there so you're back to like just having to deal with the challenges of growing up and I think even for for, for, for kids growing up now is even more challenging with regards to you know school homeschooling not having the opportunity to have those social relationships and then the pressure that comes with with social media and constant scrutiny i think yeah. it's, a, it's 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 incredibly difficult yeah. if that answer helps <laughs> no it absolutely does it, it it's, it's some of the things that it's sort of really passionate about us is around how much we, we prioritize our physical health over our mental health and i talk about before we don't have the tools we never taught the tools as 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 and that's what we're trying to do is look at strategies and, and buy openly. A lot of our programs are very educational as well. So we're educational, engaging and empowered. That's what we're trying to do, the three E's we look for. Um, but I'm looking back even from um, looking for examples of that throughout my life. So um, when I was a, a, a young player, you know, I got an injury, I, got, I done my medial ligament in and I was out for six months. And the club at the time, it's a fantastic club really looked after me from a physical point of view. They made sure I had a rehabilitation program. They made sure I was support. The physio was working on me. I was doing exercises, stretches, doing other things, keeping fitness up in different ways than using the muscle. But mentally, it was a really difficult time. Am I going to get replaced? Is my career over? Are they going to renew my contract? Are they going to... Fear took over. And it's only now, at my age, I can look back 
and see the younger version of myself and how much, how much of a scared, young, anxious young man I was. And, and I'm sure that a lot of young people go through the same thing, but can't recognise it in themselves then. Um, do you know what I mean? Where I can now, I can look back and go, oh my God, in that situation, I can remember that time I was gripped with fear, I was gripped with anxiety. And, and that's where I don't know where, I hope, that was a long time ago when I played, but I hope that in today, like the elite, especially the elite clubs, do they work with people with the sports psychology around injuries? And uh, when the and the other thing is, is the, these smaller clubs, or your, your, you know, your League Twos, League Ones, is that support still the same for injuries, psychologically support from the club? Because you know you're a, you're you're, a, you're an employee of that club, and when you left, when you leave, is there still a duty of care to be looking after someone six months down the line? 12 months down the line if they are struggling and where where you think there's if there's any imbalance between the sort of leagues um massive imbalance and again a lot of uh, brilliant points you make there but i think you kind of you're back to the quality of the people you get to be around again aren't you and i think yeah. that's what separates the good from the great yeah. so i think with within the points you've made there one of the things that stands out that is not easily identifiable is talking about an emotional intelligence yeah. isn't it yeah. so somebody that's walked that path so again you may see something in a young person that others may not see because mm. of your own lived experience mm. which then in turn brings on a different degree of empathy mm. and i think a lot of people don't have that and i think that's where football is incredibly ruthless mm. Because if you don't make it and you're gone, then someone else will come through. And obviously, then you're looking at the individual motives and ego of the person in those roles. So I would say that that is a massive issue. And this comes back again to aesthetics, isn't it? Like having a value system and living it is completely different than having a value system, laminating it and telling everybody how great you are at doing it. <laughs> and I think that comes back to kind of your core values again. Yeah. And within football, people will speak about resources and saying that at league one and league two level, well, we, we don't have the resources to be able to bring in staff who can specifically deal with this and this. Whereas as you move up, you would say that that should be an expectation. So again, I think there's more clubs are giving consideration to, you know, mental health, well-being, health. And I think it is becoming uh, more on the agenda than it possibly would have been. But again, you're back to the actual buy-in, aren't you? Whether it's doing it because it's the right thing to do. And, and yeah. that's where, like, we all love the game. But, like, if you look at the top, top managers at the moment, you would say that their skill set, what differs and separates them is they have probably got more of those skills, emotional intelligence, empathy, you know what I mean? Uh, authenticity, integrity mm. as a given, rather than not a switch that they turn on and off. You can tell it's how they live and how they are. And then that translates into the relationships they're able to develop. So you're back to what your philosophy is and what your club values are and what your priorities are. So I think that far too often, you know, you hear the classic, oh, we want, we don't just want to develop footballers, we want to develop professional young men. And a lot of them you can go, well, no, no you don't. And it's like you say, <laughs> even with an injury yeah. situation, you, you don't care about that at all. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and that comes back to, again, is that, for, for younger people, the better educated you are, the better prepared you are, and the more aware you are of what happens within the game, then in some cases with these clubs that you end up interviewing them as much as they interview you because you go, well, yeah, I've had a look at a few now. and I think this one has got values that are recognisable with my own as opposed to the ones that talk a good game, but you can tell from everything around it, don't, don't live that. And it's very hard because, again, if you're not used to the world, I've been in and around the world of football now, you know, 30 years. You know what I mean? The good, the bad, and all of that. And despite the advances in technology and, like, you know, all of the different sound bites and buzzwords and, you know, fundamentally you're still dealing with people. Yeah, that's it. I think some I'm, – I'm looking at it back, looking at just as as you're know, talking there, like the PFA and the football associations and stuff, whether they, you know – whether they have any sort of any programs to be looking after the welfare of players that are coming out and stuff around around these mental difficulties, because 
let's be really honest. When when you finished and when I finished, you know, this probably wasn't even on the agenda. It probably wasn't even anything that was even considered. Where I think it's it's quite in the forefront of people's minds now because people are more openly talking about things as well. Um, so I don't know if there's an, a, a different agenda within them societies as well to or organisations to help these young young people during difficult times as well. Uh, the PFA were brilliant for me, Phil. Yeah. And, yeah. and and continue to be a support for me. And I think the point with that is though, you kind of you, you have to take that first step as well. Mm. And, and and that goes back to I've set a business up with some of my like friends, you know, play, uh, player for player. And we, we set that up kind of last year. And the point is that the PFA are there, but you have to take that first step as well. And some people aren't comfortable making the first mm. step. The thing for me was I kind of I knew what I wanted to do. So I was able to be specific when I asked for help. I, the PFA are there to help, you know, all of their current and former members. And I, I needed help with the education. I needed help with the subse- subsequent education I wanted to do. And mm. I've, I'm a huge, again, huge advocate of the work the PFA do. I, I think they do incredible work for players. But again, I think sometimes the player has to be ready. You know I what I mean? You don't have absolutely. to have all of the answers. You have to, mm. but you're back to that again. It's like the restaurant analogy, isn't it? You live or die by the quality of the last meal. If you've got if you've got a crap meal, you're never going to go back. And I think sometimes that, especially when you've been in the world of football, you're like institutionalised to some degree, that when that's removed and automatically you're on your own, it's not easy to know how to navigate the real world, is it? And like, let's be fair, nobody wants to live in the real world. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I, I look back at the times I was struggling, that the, the people who I wouldn't have spoke to with my teammates, with the people in that dressing room, unless people have been in that sort of team sort of world and that setup of the of the changing rooms and the and the training ground and the banter and the, and everything that goes with it, you know, I I, I know myself personally. I wouldn't have lent yeah, over. But Phil, it, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but the beauty in that is even when we talk now, like you're talking about, you didn't want to expose a vulnerability mm, because yeah. you knew if you did, given the challenging environment of a dressing room that people would look to expose it and you know take you out because of it it would become an Achilles heel so it's like you say this is back to being a bit more mature and a bit more comfortable in our bones as we get older isn't it that you you can be open now whereas a dressing room is a ruthless place isn't it (laughs) not half yeah uh, you know what, Gareth? I, I can't thank you. I could I could stay on all bloody day with you, mate. If I'm honest with you, um, and I really thank you. I think yeah, what's been really good is we've talked a little bit of footy. We've talked about you know current affairs. We've talked about a lot of different things, mental health. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed. It. I hope I haven't. Um, I hope I haven't bored the socks off you with some of the questions you probably get asked them a thousand Phil, times. Not at all. Just uh, yeah. and as as I said earlier, mate, like massive kudos and respect for all of the good work you're doing. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And uh, good luck in, in the future with everything you do. I'm sure yeah. our paths will cross again. Um, but yeah, uh, fantastic, mate. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much, Gareth. Next next game at Goodison. Oh, it'll be great. Oh, <laughs> see you later, buddy. Thanks, mate. Take care. Cheers.